This week on The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. Democracy in the United States of America is in tatters. The media has just been utterly delinquent in their job as a role of watchdog. Whether I like it or not, folks like me have had to fill that breach. Please join us this week for Digital Democracy, the Cyber World of Citizen Activism on The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. The following program is underwritten in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, celebrating 20 years organic and farmer-owned since 1988. Meet your local farmers at organicvalley.coop. Garbage in, garbage out. That was the mantra of the early computer innovators. In other words, you're only as good as your data. If, as the founders of the United States Republic believed, a vital free press is fundamental to democracy, then it's no wonder we find ourselves sinking into a junk society and trashed environment. How can we make good decisions without good information? How can we get good information without a robust free press? The consent of the governed relies on informed consent. Otherwise, garbage in, garbage out. But new digital media, especially the Internet, are challenging the supremacy of junk news and its primary cause, the corporate concentration of media ownership. The digital revolution is also a democracy revolution. Can web technology by the people help breathe new life into government by the people? That's the driving belief of a new generation of digital, small-d Democrats who've informed and empowered millions at the voting booth and on the ground. And the fate of the environment may well hinge on democracy's free flow of good information and active citizen engagement. So join us as we hear the best of cyber citizenship from political blogger Brad Friedman, propaganda watchdog John Stauber, and Move On co-founder Joan Blades. This is Digital Democracy, the cyber world of citizen activism. I'm Neil Harvey. Welcome to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. How did I start blogging? Well, it was rather uh, serendipitous, actually. I had been working on another project for about five years, took a break, and sort of needed something to keep me busy. And my girlfriend at the time said, well, why don't you start a blog? I said, well, what the hell is a blog? And she told me, you know, and I started just doing nothing more than posting Doonesbury cartoons and pictures of my cat, you know, who was uh, not well at the time. I would deal with political issues every now and again, but it was a number of months before I started seeing things that I felt needed to be reported on that weren't being reported on. Actor, writer, director, citizen journalist, political commentator, broadcaster, Brad Friedman is a renaissance man of the new media. He hosts the popular internet web blog, Brad Blog, and The Brad Show, a radio program co-produced with internet news site Raw Story. Because of his blog-based investigative reporting, Friedman has appeared on CNN and other mainstream media outlets. But Brad Friedman's public prominence came almost by accident, a living testimony to the accessibility of the internet. He spoke to us at a recent Bioneers conference. Just before the 2004 election, I had broken a fairly notable story. The White House, it seems, had taken off all of these pages from its website. 
which is, of course, in violation of the uh, National Records Act of 1978, I came to learn. I put the word out there, and people noticed it. And I think the Washington Post picked it up, and they asked uh, the White House about this. And in the last week of that election, just prior to uh, the 04 election, the White House had to turn all sorts of resources into restoring what turned out to be terabytes of data that they had removed that was rather inconvenient that they didn't wish people to see, like Bush, uh, his video from his press conference saying that he didn't think that much about Osama bin Laden. The list of the Coalition of the Willing, remember them in Iraq? Well, it turns out that they had quietly removed that list because at the time people were dropping out like crazy. Countries were dropping out like crazy from that list. So I ended up doing this rather by happenstance, and it was because there is just a dearth of investigative reporting, and democracy right now in the United States of America is in tatters. The media has just been utterly delinquent in their job that they used to have, I'm told, as a role of watchdog for the country. They don't anymore. So whether I like it or not, folks like me have had to step in and sort of fill that breach. Yeah, I'm stuck in the middle with you. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Brad Show. Clint Curtis is a software programmer and whistleblower who rocked the vote last year from Tallahassee to Capitol Hill when he filed a sworn affidavit first reported at bradblog.com. Thanks for the plug, alleging that he was asked by then Florida Speaker of the House, now U.S. Congressman from Florida's 24th District, Tom Feeney to create a vote-rigging software prototype. Clint Curtis, my friend, you are the very first inaugural guinea I mean, guest on The Brad Show. Thanks for joining us, Clint. Glad to be here. What exactly happened in uh, 2000, as you have explained it to me? Well, in 2000, I was working at Yang Enterprises. We have all kinds of... That's an excerpt from the first broadcast of The Brad Show in 2005. The interview with whistleblower Clint Curtis was part of his larger story about Diebold voting machines and their vulnerability to hackers. On the Internet, the scandal spread at lightning speed worldwide, earning Friedman interviews in mainstream media. Friedman dug for the deeper story, manipulation by private partisan interests of free elections. Brad Friedman. Wally O'Dell was the CEO of Diebold a guy who, you know, sent out a fundraising letter in August of 03 saying he was going to do everything in his power to deliver the electoral vote to George W. Bush. And in fact, Ohio's vote is the vote that theoretically gave the election to Bush in 04. So it's the privatization of our public election systems that is the threat. So the blogs and the ability for jerks like me, to come out and say, uh, you know what, I don't buy it, here's what the facts are. That's really changed the name of the game. And yet, folks like me need to understand that with that ability also comes responsibility. you got to get the story right. I go out of my way to not only get the story right, but I tell people, hey, don't believe me. Don't believe a word I'm saying. You shouldn't. You shouldn't believe me. You shouldn't believe AP. You shouldn't believe New York Times. Instead, here's the proof. Here's the evidence. And I can talk about a report. I can talk about a, an interview with somebody. I can put that report online. Don't believe me. Here's the report. Read it for yourself. 
This Internet version of traditional investigative journalism, the dogged, responsible pursuit of the truth in the public interest, comes with none of the economic costs of owning a press, television station, or the complications of working for people who do. The speed and reach of the World Wide Web humble even the media giants. It's a formidable tool for the most public and noble of causes, telling the truth in the face of powerful interests. We'll look at more of those interests that threaten the benefits of digital democracy and web-based efforts to expose them when we return. This is Digital Democracy, the Cyber World of Citizen Activism. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. If you love Bioneers Radio, it's free and easy to support us. Just take a moment to post a review on our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find our show online. You'll be helping other people find and enjoy these incredible thinkers and storytellers. And thank you for helping us out. World War I was a conflict the people of the United States did not initially want to join. President Woodrow Wilson looked for a way to move public opinion to enter the violent conflagration that was consuming Europe. Soon to become famous ad man and PR master Eddie Bernays developed a promotion campaign with the Wilson administration to sell the First World War to the American people. It worked in a big way. Recognizing the power of such campaigns, Bernays began converting propaganda into big business by the early 1920s. He coined the term public relations. He showed clients he could manipulate public perception and behavior to their financial and political benefit. With the tobacco industry as his first client, he rapidly turned millions of women into smokers with a seductive ad campaign that associated smoking with being a modern independent woman. Nowadays, the industry that Bernays founded pervades our lives. Everywhere, someone is trying to have public relations with us. Public relations firms manufacture realities for the highest bidder, deploying armies of paid consultants who pose as independent experts and even as, quote, grassroots political groups. That's where John Stauber comes in. He's the founder and director of the nonprofit Spin Detector, the Center for Media and Democracy. Stauber relies on critical thinking, good research, documentation, public participation, and the open Internet to out hidden public relations spinmeisters. He spoke with us about an old PR ploy still used in the psychological war of public relations. John Stauber. Sheldon Rampton and I wrote about this in our book, Trust Us, We're Experts, How Industry Manipulates Science and Gambles with Your Future. What it relies on is that there are certain people who we tend to trust. We tend to trust experts. And the experts we trust most are the experts we're told are independent and objective and science-based. So if you can convince the public that this information is coming from a trusted expert and the public doesn't know that the expert is being paid for by the tobacco industry or the coal industry or the automotive industry or the chemical industry, then the trick works. From Woodrow Wilson forward, presidents have also used the trick. Our commanders-in-chief trot out politically correct, supposedly impartial intelligence officials to move public opinion to fit their political agenda. They do it with the ready help of an increasingly unquestioning or complicit corporate media. There was a survey out in July 2006 by the Harris Group, one of the most respected 
polling firms in the U.S., showing that in July 2006, one out of two Americans actually believed that weapons of mass destruction had been found in Iraq. Of course, zero weapons of mass destruction were found in Iraq. How can we have a democracy? How can we have a debate about war and peace? How can we accomplish anything in really dealing with issues of peace and justice and foreign policy and globalization when we have a news media that passes on government propaganda so successfully that half the people in our country think the weapons of mass destruction were found. So these are the sorts of issues that we investigate, we report on, we try to pull back the curtain on the Wizard of Oz of propaganda, if you will, and reveal to people how they're being manipulated. Because what we discover is that, first of all, nobody likes to be duped or tricked or fooled or misled. And secondly, if people realize that there's a very sophisticated, well-funded campaign to fool them into thinking or buying or voting in a particular way, they become outraged. And so what we're all about is helping people become critical thinkers, skeptics of the information they receive, and think for themselves about the most important issues facing us. One website of Stauber's center, sourcewatch.org, borrows a page from Wikipedia, the people's encyclopedia run by an open-source interactive software. Anyone can go to sourcewatch.org not only to research the forces shaping political perception, but also to write and edit investigative articles themselves. The work, vetted by editors, has produced more than 32,000 articles. What we're able to do is to work collaboratively on this website with anyone listening to this program who has access to the web. This is an experiment in what's been called citizen journalism. We hire real professional editors, but anyone can create an article, edit an article, change an article, and our criteria is the information that you put into a sourcewatch.org article has to be fair, it has to be accurate, and it has to be sourced. We want to see documentation. This has enabled us to create a growing network of dozens of citizens around the world who contribute uh, daily or weekly and update articles. And this has become a really powerful resource for environmental activists, for instance, who can create and update articles on issues like DDT or the front groups who are saying uh, we should bring back DDT. It's, it's a wonder chemical, and we should just bring it back and use it extensively. Groups like JunkScience.com, an industry-funded front group, or the American Council on Science and Health, a wonderfully named organization. Uh, who could be against a Council on Science and Health, especially an American Council on Science and Health? But this, again, is an industry front group funded by, guess who, the pesticide and industrial food people who would love to bring back DDT and who want to keep their agrochemicals out there in the environment, contaminating our planet and our bodies. One of Stauber's efforts to unmask abuses by public relations stealth agents and corporate media figured prominently in a recent U.S. presidential campaign. In May of 2004, one of our volunteers, one of our citizen journalists, noticed that this group, Swift Boat Veterans for Truth, held a news conference 
and announced themselves and said that they were very concerned about the eventual Democratic presidential nominee, John Kerry, because they didn't think he was a real war hero and other smears and attacks on John Kerry. That news conference didn't get a lot of attention, but we started an article in May of 2004 on this group. Flash ahead to August of 2004, when suddenly Swift Boat Veterans for Truth, another Republican front group, went ballistic and began spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on TV ads viciously attacking and smearing John Kerry. Well, when that suddenly happened in battleground states, anyone who Googled Swift Boat Veterans for Truth immediately got their website, but right next to it, number two, was our website exposing who was behind them. They were outraged, and they began trying to, some of their supporters, vandalize our site. And it didn't work. We just locked up that information. We moved stuff that was inappropriate to the talk page, and we kept that article intact. So when people went online and searched for information on that group, and this is still true today, yeah, you get their website, but you also get our website. It sticks like Velcro, and it really tells the truth as best we can and documented in a journalistic fashion, and then we just keep updating it. So it's a very exciting website, sourcewatch.org, and it's just part of what we do, but it's allowed us to create collaborative online journalism that now is reaching about 100,000 people a day, just that one website. The Center for Media and Democracy hosts a separate website, PR Watch, that dissects and disseminates the spin du jour. SourceWatch also runs Congresspedia, which uses vetted public contributions to reveal who funds the campaigns of Congress members. The mission of another pathfinding use of the Internet is to amplify the broadest, strongest voice of engaged constituents. It started when two Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, Joan Blades and Wes Boyd, set out in 1998 to petition Congress to drop impeachment proceedings against President Clinton and move on to more pressing matters. Little did they know what they would start. So we wrote a one-sentence petition. Congress must immediately censure the president and move on to pressing issues facing the country. Sent it out to under 100 of our friends and family. We had a half a million people sign that, and that was in 98, which is rather jaw-dropping. That's Joan Blades. By 2007, more than three million supporters flocked to the new organization, MoveOn.org, which surprised its founders by raising $27 million toward securing a Democratic Party majority in Congress in the 2006 election. MoveOn went on to flex petition muscle, run catchy newspaper ads, and organize house parties across the United States. It kept a popular movement connected and ready to speak, pay, and vote its mind. It helped thousands of activated and informed citizens find not only each other, but also their democratic voice. What's so powerful about the Internet is it's not one-way communication. It's two-way communication. And we conceived of Move On as something that is about empowering citizens to have a voice, and that coming together, it's much more powerful. And that is the ongoing premise of Move On, is that we're constantly listening to our members in a, a multitude of ways now, many sophisticated ways. There's a book called The Wisdom of Crowds, which really expresses, I think, what Move On benefits from. 
is we have this vast number, and there are well over three million members, that's hugely intelligent, very creative, and as we learn ways to tap into their creativity, their talent, their passion, we do a better job collectively. Joan Blades and Move On have highlighted a new phenomenon in modern political advocacy. It's called the cyber swarm, a rapidly mobilized uprising coursing through the neural pathways of the Internet. Since today's constituents are often marked by spatial and psychological separation, members of a cyber swarm can remain apart while working together. Joan Blade's latest effort, for example, has begun to organize mothers, a scattered demographic that nonetheless shares an injustice in common, far fewer job offers for far less pay despite equivalent qualifications and motivation as single women or men. Moms Rising is an effort to first build awareness that there's deep discrimination against mothers in our country. A mother is going to get paid on average 27% less than a man who is equally educated and has an equivalent job. A single mother is going to get paid 33 to 44% less than a man in equivalent education and job. Working with the Moms Rising team, we're trying to build awareness that there is an issue and then to help citizens be effective in changing policy, changing the culture. We wrote a book, got the film underway, Motherhood Manifesto documentary, and the film has a 45-minute organizer's cut and a director's cut that's an hour long. Got a website, momsrising.org. It has a song, the mother song, that sings every manifesto point and has the text so you can sing along. Flexible schedules, paid leave, health care, fair wages. Blade's so-called Motherhood Manifesto offers a full agenda for a diverse constituency. MomsRising.org is their multimedia cyber headquarters. It's caught the attention of Washington power players, and by 2008, 130,000 people have signed on to Moms Rising's email list. I think this is an issue that crosses partisan lines, it crosses cultural lines, it crosses economic lines, and that can become bigger than move on. And it can really provide the support for the society to start changing, the society to change leadership, to start enacting legislation that is truly family-friendly. Because we're looking too much at quarterly reports and not 20 years from now, long range. We are going to be in 
deep trouble if we don't start investing in our kids. And, yeah, we're taking short-term profits at the expense of the future. But John Blade's lifeline, the Internet, is itself under serious threat. By its very nature, the character of the Internet is that anybody can use it. That access depends on what's known as net neutrality, the functioning of the Internet as a free public domain open to all on equal terms. Predictably, a coalition of giant telecommunications companies wants to control access for a price. The corporate coalition is seeking to carve out pay-to-play fast lanes they control and charge more for the service. This cyber toll road would marginalize the sites of blogs, nonprofits, and financial subcompact models to slower lanes and more difficult access. Think lots less traffic, like when the freeway bypasses a community because it's not free anymore. But pioneers like Brad Friedman, John Stauber, and Joan Blades are determined to stop it. They and the cyber swarms of millions they represent want to protect and nurture America's democratic roots by protecting freedom of information and equal access for all. Sidestepping garbage in, garbage out media, engaged cyber citizens are also helping successfully stop mountaintop removal, illegal logging and mining, and the human rights abuses that accompany virtually all environmental destruction. So the World Wide Web is also supporting the web of life. Digital Democracy, the Cyber World of Citizen Activism. For more information on net neutrality, the telecommunication industry's effort to end it, and what's at stake for small businesses and nonprofit efforts like those profiled here, visit Bioneers.org. Free downloads of this program are available on the radio pages at Bioneers.org. Resources related to this show and the entire Bioneers radio series can also be found at Bioneers.org or by calling 877-246-6337. That's 1-877-BIONEER. Visit Bioneers.org to become a member, make a donation, learn about the annual Bioneers conference, or join our thriving online community. Choose from articles, blogs, event calendars, books, podcasts, CDs, and DVDs at Bioneers.org or by calling 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Interview recording engineer, Jeff Westman. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Rykodisc label. Additional music was made available by Sounds True at soundstrue.com. For more music information, please visit Bioneers.org. The opinions expressed in the Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature radio series are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey thank you for listening. I invite you to join the Bioneers in improving the environment by changing the world. This is program number 0508. This program is underwritten in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms, celebrating 20 years organic and farmer-owned since 1988. Meet your local farmers at organicvalley.coop.